everybody and welcome to the Kane and Rinse Podcast, Volume 6, Issue 259, Blast Core. You can play along with Volume 6, the entire schedule, up to and including Issue 300 can be found on the Kane and Rinse website. For those looking into the near future, the next five issues will cover. Chibi Robo, Plug Into Adventure, The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds, Project Gotham Racing, Gone Home, and Uncharted 4, A Thieves End. Head to KaneandRinse.com for articles, features, reviews and links to our forum, Facebook page and YouTube channel. If you enjoy what we do, there are a number of ways in which you can support us. We have a Patreon, but there's no content hidden, hidden behind paywalls or anything along those lines. Just, you know, if you fancy it, just chuck a few quid in. Or even one quid. Or even just like a, a penny. I don't really care. It all helps. And, um, you know, overall, it, it hopefully produces a better show. However, if you do believe that many of our podcasts uh, that we produce for free uh, are worth something a little bit more um, substantial in return, then you can go and buy like t-shirts and baby grows and stuff over at um, spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash Kana You can also check out our video game podcast, uh, Sound of Play. I don't think we've mentioned Blast Core on there yet. We probably have because it's got some cool music. And uh, you can, you know, review and rate and subscribe and all that internet jargon for you to do and help us out. It would be great. Joining me, Darren Gargett, and this issue is our Carl Moon. All right. Tony Atkins. Hello. And Mikhail, the Mugphone Croder. <laughs> Hi. Right, so Blast Core then. It's um it's an early N64 game. It's a definite early rare game. And to be honest, one that completely passed me by in the lead up to it coming out because I was like 13. But it's developed by Rare, published by Nintendo. Uh, if you were in the PAL region, you had a nice black border. I always found that appropriate for the games that we were playing at the time. Your boxes have black border. So do your games. Um, um, <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> I always, like, retrospectively, like, what a kick in the nuts. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is, but when you're 13, well, I'm, I'm going to guess that 13-year-olds now actually know that, well, they don't even have that now, but if they did, they'd probably be really angry with it. Me back as a 13-year-old then, I'd be like, well, whatever. <laughs> it runs fine. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little bit uh, older at that time and already aware of the original differences and uh, mm. yeah, I didn't Indeed. quite like the uh, I didn't re- really appreciate the, the boxes either <laughs> <laughs> so this was designed by uh, Martin Wakeley the original concept was by Chris Stamper because of course it was apparently this game was kicking around long before the N64 version was even materialised so I think it may have come around uh, the concept of it may have come around about the Rampage era on the you know Spectrum and Commodore and all that where the, the, the lizards and the monkeys were smashing buildings and Chris Stamper went, you know what's really good? Flattening buildings. And then they, they made many concepts that we haven't seen and eventually it came to the N64. The story and text, yep, is uh, by Lee Loveday. I don't think he gets enough credit for the work that he does. Mm. He's a very nice man. Um, the music is by Graham Norgate who went on to do stuff like Goldeneye and Time Splitters, you know, that never, guy. Never heard of him. No, <laughs> me neither. And the artists, uh, Ricky Berrick, Paul Cunningham and Keith Rabbit. And, you know, uh, the team wasn't very big. It was about seven strong at any one point. I think it ballooned to ten near the end when they needed to, you know, get some grunt work behind it. But a very traditional N64 tale, you know, early dev tales of like a small team just doing it out of passion. It's quite interesting, the backstory to Blast Core, because the game was like, you know, it was almost launched, maybe. It was around that time. It was 97. The N64, they, they must have been working on this game since maybe 94, 95. And apparently they had a giant fridge-like unit in their small tiny barn that took up maybe you know more than half of it and they were sweating away during the summer and you know using it as a lovely heating device in the winter to keep them going and um i just can't believe that 
but you know we're so lucky with, with Rare Replay that we get to find out these kind of stories from um, you know how these games are made and you know as, as I said as a 13 year old I was never really caring about any of this but looking back like the fact that these kind of tales come out is, is quite interesting. Uh, the game came out on the N64 in Japan on March 21st, 97, USA, three days later. And then, you know, because it was Europe, we had to wait until December 22nd, which is dangerously close to Christmas. Um, but I remember getting mine around about then. Was it, was it really we, December 22nd? I could have sworn I, I got it somewhere in September, um, not, not too long after Lilith Wars had come out. That's really weird because I definitely remember getting mine in December. I've got a very vivid tale, and um, yeah, yeah well, well, we'll get to that in a bit. But yeah, I, I I could be wrong, but I definitely remember getting mine when it was freezing. Um, and you know, this also came out on Xbox One. Maybe there was a, a difference between the mainland Europe release and the UK release. Yeah, you never know. Like um, you know, um, translation and localization is a uh, is a crazy beast. Mm. You know, for yeah. for many weeks. It usually many, works many... the other way, Darren. In fairness, rather than a game being built in the UK, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that one taking the longest yeah. to be translated. Yeah, but yeah, you never know what uh, crazy process might have been the cause of death. But uh... well, that's it. Like the game was published by Nintendo, so therefore it was it was obviously translated in Germany, maybe from that headquarters and outwards. So maybe you know. It's hard to explain, but yeah, um, N64 games back then were weird, and they they always plan, you know they always were weird with their releases, and maybe maybe Europe got it before us. I can't really remember. Neither can the internet from the sounds of things. Uh, this also came out as part of Rare Replay on the Xbox One on August fifth, twenty fifteen. I know that date's real. But you can't question me on that. <laughs> and the the reviews were roughly about eighty nine percent across you know nineteen reviews, and uh, yeah. People seem to enjoy it. Apparently, it sold about 0.7 mil copies on the N64. I, who knows? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, always, it seems like the Wild West back then. Who really knows, or who well, really cares? It's um, you know, it, I, I, I wasn't selling it, so I don't, I don't care. Um, anyway, let's get on to our <laughs> histories with the game. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with me first because I'm selfish. Um, my, I've got a very, very vivid tale. As I said a minute ago. I was um I was playing ISS sixty four actually oh. and I got a phone I, I got a phone call from uh, the Leighton Buzzard uh, Interactive Minds video game store um a guy called Adam phoned me up and he's like uh, Darren you know that game you've been putting a deposit down for for the last you know five months because I was that age and I was putting all my market money into the next game uh, he was like yeah it's turned up and I was like um what and he goes yeah yeah it's it's here and like, he sounded quite surprised and. I was like, well, off goes the N64. Got on my bike in the freezing cold, which is why I remember it being December. Um, but, you know, I luckily didn't fall off my bike on the ice and uh, I managed to secure my copy of Blast Core and flicking it on and seeing that white background with the giant N64 logo beaming in front of my face. I honestly didn't know what to expect. I, I don't even know why I ended up buying it. I think the magazines must have provoked me in some way. I wasn't too sure if I, I, I might have been aware of Rare at the time. But not like I am now or, you know, post-Goldeneye. It was, um, yeah, I guess it was just because it was a new Nintendo published game that made me pick it up in the first place. But I definitely remember getting a phone call going, yeah, it's here. And um, I remember seeing it on the shelf in its little kind of cigarette packet like cellophane around it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, very, very vivid memories of that. And um, Tony. So what, 97? I'm, yeah, 17 at that point. Um, I don't remember picking up for for launch and I don't particularly remember it being oh my god I'm going to put a deposit down and get it day one but I do remember having it 
Um, whether that was a year later or two years later, who knows? But um, in my head, as I like to remember back, I was a pretty good player at this game. I remember playing this game a lot, enjoying it. Um, going back to it for this particular show on, on Rare Replay, uh, I apparently only completed the easy levels. <laughs> and I feel that's a story that's probably been told a number of times um, through people's own, you know, I say childhood, but yeah, yeah, young, young adulthood, um, remembering one thing and then going back to it in a later life and actually finding that you've got nowhere near as fast as far as you probably thought you did. Um, yeah, so yeah, I only completed the easy set of levels, which is basically what five, six levels in the early parts of the game, and um, that's probably where I left it because uh, I don't remember any any post content thereafter. Uh, but for this show, I've been back, played it on Rare Replay all the way through, uh, 100%ed all the levels, done a bunch of the, the time trials, etc., etc., um, which we'll get on to later. But um, yeah, um, not something I was you know, desperate for at the time. But then again, not a huge amount of N64 games were kicking around. Um, so when a new one came out, I'm sure that was probably the reason why I was so quick to pick it up. But uh, I remember certainly at the time it being quite an odd title that I hadn't really played before. Um, I'm not going to say unique, but it was certainly um, different. You know, it wasn't what I was would, would normally be experiencing on my N64 for sure. So, um, yeah, it certainly stood out from the crowd, um, but not something that I apparently put a huge amount of time in, even though I thought I did. Carl, how about yourself? I didn't actually pick this up at launch. Um, 97 was a strange time. It was, I was 13 and I was starting to transition into, you know, the PC Master Race before I actually had a brand. Um, and yeah, I was playing games like MDK that year and uh, playing the likes of Hexen. And then when games uh, came out later in the year, we had Tomb Raider 2, we had Diddy Kong Racing, um, and Final Fantasy that Final Fantasy 7 that year. And it was mm-hmm. a case of prioritizing stuff. And, um, as a result, Blast Core being the you know the 60 pound game of just blowing up buildings, which don't get me wrong, totally appeals to me, not so much in real life, but in video game format. It, it it had to just fall by the wayside. So my first experience of playing it would be in something along the lines of a Virgin Megastores or a HMV and playing it on one of the demo unit boxes. But mainly watching people, uh, seeing it on TV, that that kind of thing. Um, and I, I, I must have played it on a friend's N64 at some point because I definitely had hands-on, but never a lot. And it was something I always wanted to play, which is why Rare Replay was such a good... Uh, thing to come out for, for something like Blast Core. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's sort of one of those strange games because I loved the N64. I loved Rare games. Yet this was the one that I was sort of willing to skip, mainly because I, I guess I always ran under the assumption that it looked like a mini game. And the kind of crazy thing is you play it now and it plays level to level like a bunch of mini games. So I mm. don't think I was a million miles wrong at the time. But I did underestimate how much fun something like that could be. Uh, but yeah, it was something that. I didn't ever pick up a retail. I did play some points in fits and starts, but that I finally got my hands on when, you know, the uh, Rare Replay released on Xbox One. Um, Mikael? Yeah, um, for me, I picked it up at launch. Uh, can I just interject? It was September. My brain is scrambled. You were right. Yeah, it said, I just saw the, the wiki page. It was uh, a, wor- a worldwide release of uh, December 22nd, but that's really vague. Um, mm. Yeah, so um, I previously, 
up until the uh, N64, I had sold uh, all uh, my consoles. Uh, we've sold, me and my brother sold our Super Nintendo with all our 40-plus games. Uh, I've sold the games I bought for his PlayStation uh, to get an N64 and uh, all the goodness mm. that... Uh, uh, that would uh, would come with it, and I was keen to uh, build a library of very diverse titles. And of course, Blast Core was a uh, Nintendo published game, so that already had one one thing going for it. It looked pretty cool from uh, from all the endlessly recycled screenshots that would fill up magazines every <laughs> month, like uh, of, of a lot of development screenshots, you know, with the, the Scorpion uh, vehicle in it and, and such. Uh, so. Also, in September, right after Lilat Wars or Star Fox 64, there wasn't a whole lot going on. So it was, a, it was an easy pick to, uh, to go for. I played it, uh, not having a lot of other games to, to play. I've got a lot of mileage out of it. Um, I actually thought, uh, almost similar to Tony, that I platinumed the whole game. Um, and... But since I lost my uh, original save game, I couldn't verify that. Uh, but looking up uh, some some videos uh, of the later stages of the game uh, this week, I've come to the conclusion I must have not platinum the whole game. So <laughs> I've got at least gold uh, gold awards for mm-hmm. all the stages, and uh, I've found all the hidden trinkets and all the hidden bits. Mm. But uh, the platinum requirements are pretty requirements are pretty steep. So I must mm. have played up until a point where I felt like I've gotten enough out of it and. Uh, gave up on uh, getting platinum on on all the stages. So apparently this game has a graphic novel which is um which was how, how do you make a comic? Do you develop a comic? I don't know, you you write a comic um but it was a, a collaboration between Rare and Dark Horse Comics. They made a, a graphic novel which you can read online. I haven't done it myself because really uh, this kind of ties into the story of the game uh, being almost non-existent to the point it rem- the story of this game is like when you're a kid you put those little sugar paper things on your tongue and it just dissolves. That's what the Blast Core story is to me. Like you just read the story and it's just dissolving in front of you because it doesn't really matter. Uh, so there's no need for a spoiler w- warning here, uh, but I will read the, the, the blurb, the synopsis. Um, Two defective nuclear missiles are being moved to a safe location for a controlled detonation. The missiles begin to leak and the carrier vehicle transporting the missiles is automatically set on a, onto a direct course to, to a detonation site. As the course takes it through many built-up areas, there are many obstacles in the way, and a single jolt could be enough to decimate the missiles and trigger a nuclear winter. The Blast Core Demolition Company is given the task of clearing a safe route route for the carrier and its missiles. So yeah, it's basically just um, like a, a wagon with. So like, that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically just ah. like a giant two giant saveloys. Uh, you know, they're very precious foods, especially in '97, and you have to get the saveloys to safety. Yeah, that's how I saw the game. Um, but yeah, the, the, that is pretty much the story. Like, you don't need to know anything more than that because there is nothing more than that. I guess it's, there's a little bit more near the end, but it's wonderful. You know. It's such a preposterous premise uh, hmm. with, that makes sh- such huge leaps uh, in logic, only to justify uh, the game's setup, uh, its design, and its mechanics. Well, they said during development, they were like, you know what, flattening buildings is fun, but they're very stationary so how do we make a game around this and that's the you know the notion of these two nuclear missiles on the back of a vehicle moving in a in a beeline towards the end um came about yeah i mean i i, I think you know this, i mean the story is just you know 
ridiculous. But I think um, the whole idea of it was to give you a sense of state, you know, a sense of emergency, you know, um, or a sense of urgency. Even you know, it's it's if, if it's they would they would either had to put a time limit on the level, otherwise you'd just sit there and just blast through stuff uh, and have no real direction. And I think this was just mm. a, a good excuse to make sure that you know you had a reason for clearing a path. Um, I know I watched some of the rare replay stuff on it and then talking about some other ideas they had for the story, which were even more preposterous. And yeah, it's it's silly, but it's kind of... It works. Yeah. Like, I, no, it, it's, it, it, it's a vehicle, you know what I mean? Like as soon as that um, the, the missile carrier is, you know, on its career path towards a building and, you know, you can't do anything about it because you're running out of time or the, the pressure's too much. It works. Like it is a good motive the- to get you... To destroy buildings. Let's let's. I mean, let's just take. Let's have a bit of fun here and, and take the premise for if this was real life. One, yes, there's a bunch of machines that can destroy buildings. Let's just pretend that's fine, and it all happens in a very quick sensation, and it all, all that stuff. Surely, like the rubble on the ground would be an issue. Um, you know, the idea of the missile character carrier was be going through the the you know intercities are set on a course where basically it's a direct line to the ocean. Um, and they mm. couldn't maybe just part, you know, pass it through anywhere that wasn't a city. Um, <laughs> no, maybe not just pick All it right, up fun by police. helicopter, oh, no. maybe. But I, you know, I'm I'm being fun here. You know, you just <laughs> it's a daft, <laughs> daft plot, and um, it doesn't ever take it seriously. It's just something I mean, the they biggest stick there concern is that at no point did it ever attempt to get on a road that featured a corner. I'm going yeah. somewhat somewhat bizarre. Um, but it's weird because this is back in the day and I do actually miss these kinds of days where you got a bunch of games that the story didn't matter. Like it was just oh, yeah. daft nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, it was daft nonsense. And this, this is a flashback to the days of me being a five, six, seven year old kid sitting on the floor, building stuff, building blocks, getting my trucks, crashing them into them. And the mm. people are jumping out of buildings and burning and maybe not. No, that's a bit dark, but that's what they're doing, you know, and they're screaming, ah! <laughs> you're crashing all these things down. And yeah, that that's all Blast Core is, and they were great days. You know, they're great memories for me. So why not play them in a digital format in a game? And that's essentially what Blast Core was. Yeah, mm. and, and one uh, compliment you could definitely give Blast Core is that uh, it never tries to uh, force a story in the way of the in the game. It oh, never no, gets no. gets away of the game. No, no. The, the whole concept of the game is laid out before you in the like the main menu attract screen. Yeah. it gives you like problem. There's a thing moving. Solution: <laughs> destroy the things. And you're like, okay, well, cheers. Yeah. That's like four four lines of dialogue. We're sorted. Yeah, and if it's pretty much the exact story to Lilac Wars, isn't it? <laughs> Careful, something's coming. Shoot it. Blow it up. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, and and going back to uh, Tony's uh, uh, attempt at uh, taking the, the plotline seriously, uh, it's also hilariously uh, absurd that, safe for maybe radiation fallout, like. Uh, you, in order to 100% the levels, you have to level every single thing in it. So in a in a sense, you're you're creating <laughs> almost as much disrupt, the, uh, destruction as the detonation of the truck with uh, the nuclear weapon. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Dark twist in the blast. The weapon was law. never really the problem in the first place. No, you're in fact the issue. Ah, oh, <laughs> exactly. That's taking a deeper turn than I ever reasoned. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the so story is actually a... great. No, I take that back. Yeah. <laughs> I've missed the point. Yeah, yeah. There's a fi- there's a film out next year because of this. <laughs> We've already added Superman on it. He flattened <laughs> a lot of buildings and killed a lot of people. Oh. So there is a making of uh, Blast Core on Rare Replay, and you can watch that. Um, you know, they they go through many more things than this, but uh, they they cite other Thunderbirds as an influence. 
Um, you know, I, I, you can probably see why there's the, the Thunderbirds games on the PlayStation 2, which I'm a QA tester, has a similar perspective of over the top, kind of like a kid playing with toys, you know, over kind of micro machines, desert strikey, you know, that mm, kind yeah. of camera angle. It, it, Blast Core to me looks like you're playing with toys, like Carl said, and uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. The name originally was Blast Dozer, but it wasn't a trademark worldwide they could use, so they ended up going for um, Blast Core after what? many names like. Heavy Duty and Havoc District and HD and, you know, all these other weird What I want to know is have. what stood in the way of Blastoza. What, who else owns some sort of IP that would have infringed on mm. that for Worldwide? I Probably the same lunatic who's got <laughs> Edge trademark somewhere yeah. <laughs> under, his, under his pillow. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Mario Kart influence uh, was, was there and they used it for Backlash. Um, we'll talk about Backlash later on, I'm sure. It won't be the Backlash podcast, though. And, um, they, you know, as I said earlier, they didn't even have a, um, a desk kit. And uh, they, 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 went, they, went, they developed the game based on what the machine might be able to do. So, you know, I think we'll talk about the art and sound later on, but I think they did a good job uh, considering what they had. So going back for a name for a second. So when I was younger, I was convinced it was Blast Cops. I don't know why. I just think in my head it was like, yeah, Blast Corps. And of course it's Corps. Yeah. And I, I guess that's for Blast Corporation. Well, yeah, you know, it's actually Core as in like yeah, an Apple Core. Core. Like, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know that as a kid. I just read it as it was on the on the, you know, on the box. And uh, yeah, yeah Corps. It's like, well, really? But yeah, it's um, yeah, it one of those ones that came to me much later after, you know, playing it. And, you know, it, it always seemed like um, an American word to me. I'd never really heard it in England. Mm. But then... When, when when American TV came over and they started saying like Marine Corps and that, I was like, hold on, I recognise that. And then, you know, it all kind of clicked and, you know, that was that. It, you know, it makes perfect sense. But, um, you know, as a naive child, you just read it as like maybe pneumatic drill. You know what I mean? Like silent peas. Who invented silent peas? <laughs> Get lost. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> Rubbish. Yeah, calm down, Gar- Darren Gadget. Um, <laughs> Shh, so- don't, don't tell him. Don't tell <laughs> <laughs> It's, I had a really, my dad's quite finicky about this stuff. And he was, you know, he saw it in a magazine. He's like, that son is core. <laughs> and it's basically, if I ever hear you say corpse, you get a smack. <laughs> so, it would turn I, you into one. Exactly. So I was the one that was at school and people were going, oh, that blast corpse. And I'm like, it's core. So I, yeah, I was the douche that was basically correcting people <laughs> at school. And they're going, it's not core, it's corpse. Look, read it properly. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. So there was that whole thing. Most people did seem to get it wrong, or at least most kids. You know, which is understandable. I was just the uh, the douche that was drilled by my dad. Uh, no, that sounds completely wrong. Edit, yeah. that, edit that out. <laughs> Hi, Ryan here from the edit room. No. Enjoy the rest of the show, everyone. Yeah, so, yeah, I was I was obviously just told by my dad time and time again that, you know, when, when something's spelled a certain way that it doesn't necessarily be, it's not necessarily pronounced that way. So, yeah, it was core. And uh, he def- definitely got that one into me at the start. There were many names for this game. We're not going to list them all, but, um, you know, it's typical names like Ram Dozer and Drill Dozer and la da 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 uh, But the actual levels of the names, unsurprisingly, are named after Simeon-type things. There are loads of levels in there, like Gibbons Gate and Simeon Acres and very, very typical of Rare to name stuff like this. There's even a level named after um, a famous or then-famous actress who played one of the games on TV before. Uh, the, the, mm. the level's called something like Lorraine Chase or That Was Her Name or something like that. It's in the dark corners of my memory. Lorraine Chase, I believe. That's it. There you go. And it's all, you know, it's, it's very typically a rare game. You could tell these people 
even though even though Blast Core doesn't really have much of a character on the surface, you can definitely tell that bubbling underneath is the personalities of the people working there, and that that you know that shows through most of Rare's output of that era. There was a potential sequel on the cards. Again, you can see this from Rare Replay. I they won't ever call it a, a potential sequel, but it, you can't help but notice that it looks fairly similar in the fact that you're piloting a giant spider, a yellow spider that goes around, you know up and down buildings shooting it's like yeah really like it's almost blast core tour uh, blast core 2 excuse me um all it but you can't get out the vehicle in this one you know in this you know in this in this uh canned project but it looks quite interesting like like most beta projects do though you're like oh that looks really good but you know obviously for reasons it never came out and um i think it became quite a joke in the development studio um, you know, you know, always referencing Black Widow as being one of these games that's that, that they they keep using things from Black Widow in other failed projects <laughs> like Cameo Two and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I think it is quite the the in gag there. There is a spiritual successor which you can see on our YouTube channel. Plug. Uh, it's called Crash Go. It's by a guy called uh, Brandon Mitchell, and I did the video because I love it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the time to beat is nine to ten hours, and the the speed run is twenty six minutes. Of course. It is mad. <laughs> yeah. It is it is ridiculous. Um so some of the stuff you can do with backlash in terms of like glitching the gravity around the way he yeah. moves it is quite the sight. Um so if you know if you ever feel down about backlash, you can just watch that video and go, I hate speedrunners. How do they do it? <laughs> you just never played another game since nineteen ninety seven, Darren. That's why he's so good. <laughs> that is the only game that he knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before we get on to what you actually do in uh, in Blast Core. Uh, we have a um, we have half a post from our regular contributor, all-round nice guy, Andrew Brown. He says, I want to love Blast Core, but I can't. It's an absurd concept for a video game. I am put in charge of the titular core, set out uh, to level several several small cities to prevent runaway nuclear missiles from detonating. To accomplish this, the core has access to several destructive vehicles, up to and including humongous mecha. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's probably a better way to describe the story than the game actually does itself. So, mm. word on Andrew Brown. Uh, so, what do you do in Blast Core? Now, the main premise is you flatten buildings that get in your way. But, you know, there's more to it than that. Uh, the game starts off with a world map with some quite catchy music. Time to get moving. Mm-hmm. And it's all very kind of, you know, poppy and squeaky and lovely. And... You, you know, you choose uh, kind of, you know, uh, of games of that era where you had a world map to dot around in. You choose your levels based on progression and, you know, basically what, what you fancied. And um, I can only kind of guess that maybe like Super Mario Brothers 3 was, you know, like an influence for this kind of design and overworld. And I never really took it, never really appreciated it until I played it recently in Rare Replay, where I was, you know, struggling with one type of level. So then I went somewhere else to to play that um you know to to complete challenges and basically not get stuck at a certain point anyone else enjoyed the world map or would you have preferred a linear progression i think it's an interesting um visualization of uh, of you know a level select screen uh it's hmm. yeah the, the the branching is uh, is quite cool um of course it doesn't make any sense geologically but um yeah no it's it just i think it adds some visual flourish to the whole thing and the the whole concept hmm. that uh, the world is in danger if there's one thing i couldn't get my head around or really put any time into actually understand it the actual world map icons you, you fill them in you get a medal and then that fills in the circle with the medal but what does the the red and the green mean around it? does that mean you've fully completed that it? level yeah see i always thought it was 
based on how how well like you got, if you're 100% at a level does it turn green after that and I've never really put any time into actually like finding out I just wondered <laughs> if anyone else could help us out I, I always thought there were just difficulty so green was easy red was hard yeah. oh right okay it's as simple as that, is it? It's as simple as that. I was darting around the world map, like maybe I could like fill in some, like Super Mario World, when there's a red dot there, and you're like, well, why is it still red? I was kind of applying the same logic there, and I was like, well, this is going nowhere fast. And, uh, yeah, I do. I, no, I do quite like how the the level structure is. Like you say, you can move on from one to the other, but um, there's extra missions that you can do. You know, the time trials, etc., on mm-hmm. different vehicles, and you actually need to complete some of those to unlock some of the more main missions yeah. so it's not just a case of you know work your way through all the main missions and then as i feel like now they'd they'd present that map in a very different way it'd be main missions mm. and then you know probably a drop down box somewhere else or a thousand icons on the map but it's, yeah. it's i found it quite nice playing for it properly this time around in in 2017 and kind of getting that feel of you know the, there was a couple of times i found myself getting genuinely stuck and thinking okay i need to you know, not be frustrated at this point. And actually, overall, I for a game that I feel like I, I found quite hard back when I was younger, I, that must have been the case. I actually found, like, the the earlier parts of the game is a little harder than you expect because the, the controls are a little wonky, I feel. Mm. Um, and, like, the middle of the game seems to be, you know... <laughs> There's there's a couple of sticking points, but I found the game to be generally easier as I got got through it. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, like the first backlash mission is probably harder yeah. than ninety percent of the rest of the game. So, but you know, to that point, um, I think I found it. You know, the fact that in in the early part, the the map progression that it, you did unlock side missions and you could kind of still play around the mechanics without kind of banging your head against a wall, which would always then lead you to come back and and actually normally quite quickly ace the mission that you were, were stuck on and you know it, then it would branch out into more kind of faults it ends up being like a big spider web across mm. uh, across the map but there's there's no one particular route it feels like you need to be heading although some missions are, are clearly harder than others once you've done the easy set of missions you suddenly get a bunch of medium sets of missions i mean you can tackle them any way you want to um i guess you you know you're the pawn in your own destiny if you're going to find out if one's too hard or not and you come back away from it so slightly odd mission design for for 2017 but yeah i think it worked then yeah i mean you see the structure of games like super mario world which has a fabulously clear overview map where you're selecting you know mission to mission and sometimes you can go left or right and you sort of got that same freedom in blast core but as you said tony sometimes you got to complete a time trial to get to a main mission i did not like that i think that that's terrible design um i do like the fact that when you've cleared all the easy missions, it will actually tell you that you've cleared the easy missions. So at that point, you're prepared that every mission after it is going to be somewhat more difficult or should be. I think it was a little bit clumsy. I think it would be reworked. Selecting the missions that are diagonal to one another can be quite mm. finicky where you're going left or up, left or up. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, just, I just want to Come go on. to 10 o'clock. Yeah. And it's like, that, that was starting to drive me mad. Uh, one thing I did like was the touch with the sort of the real-time planet. Planetary yeah, that's clever. That's very that clever. Was, that was, that's so rare for touches back and in the N64 at the same era. time. I'll let Darren explain that because it is really quite fun. Yeah. yeah. It, well, yeah, it, you know, the world map is presented in front of you and if you look closely, the, the planets, you know, circling the planet Earth of, of your world map is, you know, our solar system represented as best as they could. And, it, you know, it's for a reason as well. Like, not only do you see planets spiraling around you as you would, you know, if you were clever enough to look into the skies and see that kind of stuff, but it actually plays into the gameplay. Uh, you know, it was kind of a massive revelation for me back then when you ended up going <laughs> yeah. there. Mm. Spoilers. Yeah. 
But it's it's all um, it's all correct, isn't it? So that the moon rotates yeah. around the sun yeah. x amount yeah, yeah, of time, yeah. and then you know as as you move and watch the planets, they eventually you know take longer and longer to go around. But they're all actually to the precise, well, not to the precise time because you'd be there forever. Yeah, it's, just it's sped, be there for a year, up, but it's but you it's... know by the time it's sped up. They all interlink. There's a, there's a great YouTube video out there explaining yeah, exactly uh, how it all works. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's just really weird yeah, to, yeah. to see that there in the game. I know that the Earth takes a minute to go around the Sun, which is what you are always seeing. But then the Moon goes around the Earth thirteen times in that in that minute, which breaks down t- to accurate in real life. But then when you go to the likes of Neptune and Mars and the Moon, the view from there also matches what they yeah. should be. Mm. So that is pretty clever for an N64 game um, to have that, especially it's never highlighted. It's just a little Easter egg that's right in front of you that the majority of people would never even notice. It's almost like a a little tech demo in itself. They just put it in there. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely tell maybe somebody on the dev team kind of enjoyed the stars and the you know the moons is uh, a bit more than anyone else, and fair play to him, you know. Yeah. Like <laughs> in his lunch hour, he's just putting out a game. He's like, oh, here <laughs> from world map. Yeah. I got I got bored. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you do play as a uh, a crudely designed human named the pilot. That's the only thing I could find of him in my head. I called him Harry for many many years, <laughs> and that's what I assumed his name was, but it's not. <laughs> and you, you work for um you know the Blastcore team, who of which are called uh, Amber, Clark, Wesley, and Spike. And uh, you're the fifth member. They they allude to you in like the um, I think it's in like the website or there's some prologue before the game came out. They said, "Oh, who's gonna help save the world?" And she Amber's like, "Well, we're gonna get the very best in," and that's obviously meant to be you. And he, he does speak every now and again. Um, you know, he he sounds like Homer Simpson when you press the or you know when you try and do something that you can't do. And if you're in the A team van, which we'll talk about later on, he he does a different noise. He goes, "Get out of my way!" And it's you know it's all very funny. <laughs> um. But yeah, other than that, you don't really know who he is. And I've always, it's always kind of bugged me, you know. He, it's a really poorly designed, well, like I say, human. Like, the, the, it's the bare minimum they needed to get a human on screen. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's been generous. I mean, you, you, called him, you called him crude. And this is a guy who makes the, the players in Olympic soccer on the PlayStation look worldly. So he looks yeah, that bad. It, with his horrible, ungainly walk kind of thing. He also runs really quite fast. The the animation is hideous and the model's worse. Yeah, he's got some crazy long legs. Yeah, and his arms are like just stuck in position. And when he's running, I I kind of... Now, this is weird and quite unpopular, I guess, but I do that animation when I run upstairs (laughs) in real life. My my arms are fixed in front of me and I'm thrusting away. What I like is the fact that he obviously gets out of one of these big destruction vehicles and because they they can't make him to size of, you know, what he would be against a big vehicle, they make him Mm. almost, you know, half the size of a vehicle. It makes no sense. And he runs across like a stick man across the screen. Yeah. And you're like, wow, (laughs) this is really odd. But, um, you know, it it worked. To be honest, I'm surprised they ever allowed you to get out of the vehicle and you know there there is reasons to do so you know there's there's some you know sometimes mm. there's two if not three vehicles um on each stage so you know I but I'm surprised you didn't just drive up to the vehicle and there'd be a button press to to just transfer transfer, transfer across, across yeah. to that vehicle the fact that they you know they made a rudimentary um figure to to go from mm, vehicle yeah. to vehicle is you know is impressive well, I guess at the time, in some of the puzzles as well, isn't it? Some of the routes you have yeah, to be yeah. the person to go down, which is kind of a surprise. I don't remember ever seeing that 
in the in the build up or from me watching it, so going back and playing it in rare replay for the first time, that was a genuine surprise <laughs> for me, which is quite at cool. At the time, I, it was I remembered it being very impressive uh, to even be able to walk around and mm-hmm. uh, switch between vehicles. It wasn't all too common in most games. You either control the vehicle or you control the character, and um, yeah. So there, there were games that did that, but not too many. Um, I mean, I'm thinking Grand Theft Auto was only the year before, right? Yeah. The very first Grand Theft Auto would have been 1996. Yeah, and who remembers uh, Blaster Master on the NES, where you could get yes, out of the vehicle? Yes, of course, yeah. yeah. So there, there have been examples, but mm. yeah, not too, too often. Um, <clears throat> another game that actually uh, reminded me of it was... Um, Body Harvest for the N64. Uh, yeah, Body Harvest is... Yeah, both both yeah. games seem to share uh, some DNA, at least, uh, among Definitely. each other. D- DMA. Yeah. DMA. Yeah, DMA, oh. yeah. <laughs> um, Kane and Rince can do jokes. Just did one. <laughs> wow. Just did one. Call us dry at your peril. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, of course, Body um, Harvest was uh, delayed and delayed and delayed and came out, came out much later. Yeah. And, uh, didn't look half so, as nice. To go back to the world map for a split second and uh, how, it, how it actually affects you, the player, more directly, I always found it very interesting that they highlight what vehicles are in the map because um, you end up completing some levels, for yeah. example, just as J-Bomb. And then you go back to the, the, the overworld and you're like, well, I can see a police car in the corner there. What the flip? And, uh, you know, it kind of alludes to more than just smashing buildings up, which this mm-hmm. game, you know, surprisingly does. As Carl said, like, there is more depth to this game than what you probably expect. And again, it... It says at the very beginning that you need to find all the RDUs. I forget what RDU stands for. Something um, like radiation you, display units or something. Yeah, why not? Or, or rare Really daft units. units. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> um, and, you know, the scientists, and you know, to, to end up getting yourself into the space worlds of, uh, of the game. Uh, you know, so there is a lot more going on than meets the eye. And I think the overworld does a good enough job in prodding you kind of like Super Mario World very cleverly like there's a there's a J-bomb in this level and you think well actually it's just a train level what's going on mm-hmm. yeah but um, the main the main core of this game is uh, it are the carry missions as we said you know there is um, it is two giant red cylinders on the back of a vehicle that is just going from A to B and you have to flatten the buildings to prevent uh, catastrophe but within these levels um, you know, the, the, like, like, like we've just been speaking about, there are more than meets the eye to these things, um, which involve basically what we've just been saying. Um, how do people feel about, you know, the, the general gameplay of smashing the buildings and then going back into the level as a kind of a mini free roam? Does anyone find that just as satisfying as I did? Like, there's no pressure. There's no warning for the second time around. Yeah. It's just like, even though we said at the start that it's kind of anarchic for anarchy's sake it's still really satisfying just to go around and mop it all up i would say that that's probably my favorite kind of design i like to do something get a sort of a base idea of the structure of that level and go back in and actually be able to do it so to be able to do it without the time limit of the uh the nuke going off and escorting the truck was both surprising because again that caught me off guard not that I hadn't seen it before, but I just hadn't recalled that that was the case, that you could go back in without that time limit pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I really enjoyed, especially when you'd complete a level one way, feel like you had loads of time to see stuff and realize you've only got 50% of the collectibles and found one of the three vehicles. And you're like, eh, 
<laughs> like the world's aren't that big, are they? Yeah, I did and everything. Then you I, this... I cleared all the buildings. Where was this vehicle? <laughs> where, where, where's the fifty percent of this map yeah. that I'm missing? And then, you know, you can spend quite a long time in these worlds. That I mean, yeah, many of them are completed in, given the the, the world record times twenty six minutes. Um, you can do some of the missions in two minutes comfortably. And then you realise that you could actually go and explore this level fully for 15 minutes and not be close to finding some stuff. Like the scientists, for example, they can be really tricky to find uh, yeah. without a guide. Um, in fact, a lot of this game is really tricky without a guide, if I'm being perfectly honest. This is one of the ones where back in the day you'd wait for like, a little booklet on the front of a CVG or something just to find out where everything was. Um, and that's where you realise that it's not just daft blowing up buildings, that there is actually a skill level, that there's actually a real genuine challenge, even just outside of beating the time limit, but in actually finding collectibles back when they were a challenge and not a chore, mm-hmm. um, that was really enjoyable. And when you sort of get one over and you've got the two gold medals for a level, you're, you're really chuffed with yourself. You know, you feel like you've actually accomplished something. Ultimately, you get the best of both worlds here because, you know, if this was just a game with the the concept of destructing or the destruction of levels, I think it would be really shallow. Like you wouldn't, I, I, as much as I, I've enjoyed going back and 100% in every level and, and discovering everything, I think just a game of that would be, you know, yeah, just kind of a bit dull, to be honest. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, having the the sense of urgency with that time limit pressure on you and something always that way. If you don't destroy that building correctly, you're, you're, you're going to have to restart this level again. And it's, you know, that's gameplay that has been around forever. You know, fail a mission, restart, learn where you went wrong, you know, clear clear the path a little bit quicker uh, at the start and then, you know, work out which vehicle may be better for the X job. So I think, you know, you get the best of both worlds. Although I agree, Carl, about the, the need for a guide to find everything, I don't think... Um, and I clearly didn't do this back then, but I I feel like if this was my game that I had for you know the best part of two to three months before my next birthday money or Christmas money came yeah. in, like I don't think anything's too crazy. There there was one that I found weird where you had to get off a train halfway through a tunnel, um, yeah, to find a secret passage. That I mean that yeah you, yeah I mean I can't imagine. I mean I suppose you could adjust. Hit, kept hitting the button to try to get off the train after you tried every single thing else in the, in the maps. But quite often, some of the secrets are just cases of of getting on something like, I don't know, the J-bomb and, and flying around, you know, out to sea and then finding that yeah, island. those ones aren't too um, bad. They're pretty And fun. I think you would do that naturally, given, you know, if you spent two or three hours just exploring each mission, which, are, you know, Darren um, and Mikhail, that, you know, that's maybe something you both did back then but yeah. from a point yeah. of view now and i'm sure this is where carl's point of view is to do to do that now you know it's it, you know there's there's many many other games we could also be playing so yeah. to follow a guide it was fun um to experience all that stuff but you know without having to put the time pressure on right. ourselves so yeah lots of it. retro games are quite obscure at the best of times anyway right you know you can go back yeah, and play any I, number I of any... really strange games even something like monkey island which is a classic all-time classic point and click has some really obscure yeah. sort of solutions in there and I remember the one that really confused me in Blast Core was where you destroy a train station at the far end of the map and you've got all the glass fronts, but then you've got to save the one TNT box that can easily yeah. be blown up from inside it, load that back on yeah. the train, drive all the way back, back through the very start, through the tunnel that you began with to blow up an Easter Island statue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's quite obscure. And um, but my my whole take on on this uh, on Blast Core design and on its exploration is a little bit different because I'm probably an arcade gamer at heart. So I, I think if I would have played the game new today, 
uh, I might have found that uh, all the exploration and the collecting uh, would have been detrimental to the game's uh, frantic pace. I would be personally really happy with uh, with a game with just uh, the carry levels, parts of the levels. But uh, back in 97, when it came out, um, I had played a few uh, textured uh, 3D games uh, on the N64 and on the, the PlayStation, but it was still such a new, fresh thing to explore 3D worlds. Um uh, Pilot Wings did a little bit of that as well, where you just ignore yeah, the missions Pilot and you fly around, and it's just really enjoyable Great finding comparison. finding little little caves. Uh, Pilot Wings sixty four, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely. So I was at the time I was enjoying the exploration parts uh, so much, and just uh, yeah, mm-hmm. e- even just yeah. getting into one of the little cars and just uh, skidding and uh, and racing around the uh, the the, yeah. the danger free zones and uh, just trying to to find everything that that was in them and come across interesting bits and structures so i i really I enjoyed it pilot back then. wings 64 is a really great comparison to make in terms of it being a game that has not just more depth than it appears under the surface mm-hmm. and how it's advertised but probably more depth than it had any right to have you know yeah. um you know, in pilot wings, you got so many great Easter eggs uh, for discovery um, and, and flying around the world. And in Blast Corps, even just outside of the simple destruction of the buildings, um, some of the puzzles are really clever. The way things are hidden, the way the the process that sometimes one to two to three and A to B to C doesn't actually make any logical sense. You got to do like A to D to E to B kind of thing, and that kind of process um, works really well. In a game like this, yeah. especially because your skill level in using certain vehicles, particularly backlash, is is a huge part of that. Um, and and then you sort of start picking up little tips and tricks and skills that re- work really well in the game. And I think that's where the difficulty comes in. I, I never felt really felt like you know easy, medium, hard meant you know oh we've got more buildings to no. destroy. It it actually became more about the yeah, the process. From A to B, there's going to be maybe one or two more complex routes. So, yeah. you know, talking about the uh, the very start of the game, Easy, its version of Easy is basically clear. You know, a few buildings that are in front of the you know uh, the nuke, and, and that's it. But by the um, is it the harbor level at the very end? I think that's the one I was tweeting. I got stuck on right at the end of the game. Mm. Um, you know, it's a case of needing to load things onto cranes and yeah. low areas yeah. of bridges. And yeah, there's like a four step process between clearing boxes, getting TNT onto a crane, clearing a bridge with mm. the TNT from that, bringing the crane down, moving your vehicle from that one section. Of it, and after you've done that, like that's, that's just one quarter of the level moving over, then moving uh, a whole bunch of ships left and right, back. uh, yeah, backwards and forwards. Um, in, and and like all this is uh, you know a time pressuring game i think it is always a a love hate relationship for many gamers mm. sometimes it works and sometimes it, it you know absolutely can ruin an experience that was the only level yeah. i felt like i that the time pressure was it's too was tight too, yeah it's on just like everything needs to be spot on like they yeah. and and the, of course the only way you can manage that is to fail a whole bunch of times and understand you know, the mechanics, even if you're following a guide, like you still need to put all these aspects into actual mm. gameplay. Um, and that was the one level I found quite frustrating. But I, I remember doing it and being like doing a proper, yes, like, damn, but yeah. 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 And <laughs> I have to do that again. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah partly it's for the fact, God, I never have to do that again. And actually going back into mm. that level with no time pressure was really good because I could, 
you know explore a bit more. It's a really good level. But, That's yeah, the thing. I, yeah. But I remember that one in particular. Like I, I got all all the aspects down. Um, you know, the, the, from the start to the crane to actually moving the ships around to a, a relatively good thing. I just couldn't get the TNT TNT back back onto yeah. a ship back mm. again without having to get the the you know one of the boats which essentially bridges a gap for the uh, for the newt to, to travel oh, yeah. over just back in time and and you know that's well the best part of five six minutes into level so you know after the seventh time of that blowing up it was kind of gee I need to go and play some time trials and, and I'll I'll come back to this but, yeah and then yeah and aced it but. You know that's I mean that's pretty. I, I'm gonna here's one of my my things with this game, uh, and I'll and I'll put this here because it, maybe it comes up in a bit of my summaration. But yeah, you know, I think you know by today's standards, there's probably a lot wrong with this game. Um, you know, if this was just thrown out on one of the marketplaces of you know whatever pick a pick a modern day console, yeah, you know, I think it would have a rough time with some of the review outlets. Um, but it's not. I mean, this is a game from '97. But you know, so just going back to it now, you know, I, I think yeah, you can pick it apart in, in a number of areas. But for back then, I think it, there's some there is some subtle game design in there and some fun game design. Mm. But they don't get everything right. And um, no, absolutely. You know, some of the lack of it. the content that maybe is in there, and some of the, you know, it feels quite basic at times, and then it feels maybe a bit too challenging. Mm. Like this difficulty curves a bit all over the place. So yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, that's probably my summary. But, no, but I think it, 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 it plays it's into the conversation in, in this section about how it actually plays, you know, today's standards. You know, we we talk even now today that that games are still in their infancy, right? And how they deliver a story and the gameplay and an immersive experience, etc. And in the you know, compared to the likes of books and movie and theatre and and that that ilk, it is still very young. This game is now 20 years mm. old. That's old enough to have been through your school, been through your college, left home, got married, got a job, <laughs> been fired a couple of times, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, and have children. And you're like, that That game is old mm. now. You know, 20 years is a long time in a very new industry. Um, and I would say I probably going into it came at the other end. I thought it would be quite a shallow experience. I didn't expect a lot to be delivered. And exactly for the reasons that Tony says that the game would have a rough time now is why I gave it a rough time then. Mm -hmm. But Mm. I think I probably appreciate it more now (laughs) for being 20 years old and actually having been surprised by the amount of depth that was Mm. in there. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I sort of, I see exactly the point that Tony's making, but felt that 20 years ago, which is kind of nuts. Um, and I think you sort of you do you do tend to ease up and become less harsh on retro games. That, that that's the fact. But we always try and look at them fairly and judge them now as well as the impact then. And I think this game, much like its design, is very back to front for me <laughs> for how I feel about it. And I, I think for all the reasons that you could say the game is broken, is uh, for many of the reasons I actually quite enjoyed it. Mm. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah, I I you know. The Blast Core for me is is a game of you know a, a lot of enjoyment with quite a few annoying flaws that I I couldn't really help uh, from a player's point of view. Like I think the camera for the most part is really well. Yeah, yeah it, it's fine. But when it comes to something like the level we're just talking about, which I think it starts off with blister, yeah, the, the trying to hit the bombs the down on that crate. Oh my you, god! You can't aim. You can't aim those missiles well enough. Yeah. 
unless you've tried at least you know dozens mm-hmm. of times and it's fr- it's frustrating to get the it's quite fun to do the wheelie in the motorbike the ballista don't get me wrong like the wheelie is fun but when you have to then arc your missiles to hit yeah. the missiles don't have full range they dissipate mid-air sometimes if you let them go too long and it's like there's too many variables yeah, for me yeah. to I'd not- also say with the, the ballista as, let- as well you can you can be in the same position on the map and have you know varying results. results. Yeah. <laughs> for what Let's go destroyed. one further. Let's go one further on this ballista and not ignore the fact that you pinball off everything oh, yeah. in there. Yeah. <laughs> I, even yeah. trying one to line of, one it up. One of my favourite quotes that, that you mentioned in, in um, I Twitter somewhere earlier. I can't remember of recent was um, you know uh, blast corps the. the the one game where you can destroy buildings with a bulldozer but bounce off trees like they're rubber bands. It's yeah, exactly. It's abs- I mean, it's absurd, but yeah, you, <laughs> it's game limitations. It, it's funny. Yeah. yeah. Go back to my point about the camera being an awkward, like that's just part of it. But then this level is a great example of how many things I don't like about Blast Core in one level while appreciating the level at the same time. Because it is quite complex, you know, like you said, Tony, you're mixing and matching all kinds of things. But the, the crane... The, the 2D perspective you, you are given on the crane in that level <laughs> it's too tight. isn't good enough. Yeah, it's really tight. Yeah. You can you can lower the crane down on the bridge, um, what seemingly is the middle of the bridge, and blow one crate up. You can yeah, do almost oh. the same thing again and level the entirety of the, the bridge down and lot, clear it. Yeah. And you're like, I feel like I did no different there. Well, mm, okay. Yeah, it's a shame. The thing is, you, it's not even that you didn't feel like you did no different. You actually did no different mm-hmm. it's just there is that random impact to blowing that whole metal bridge up or just like the one chunk and you know we talk about this being a six minute level that's relatively near the start but you're still talking what 50 seconds in by the time you've cleared the crates and made sure that the you know the, the carrier is not going to hit the very first bunch of cargo mm-hmm. um containers um and that even after only a minute it's still tiresome when you go, oh, that's really annoying. I've got to go and restart that level again and again. And it's really frustrating. And the cam- the camera is solid and, and nice and stuff. But and obviously part of the challenge does come from that. But did anyone else feel like it was a bit too close mm. and you could end up feeling a little bit too claustrophobic? The camera, the camera is quite interesting because it normally gives a, a, a fairly large top-down view. Uh, you, of course, with the, uh, I'm talking because I've been uh, returning to the actual uh, N64 version. You can use the the C buttons, the yellow C buttons, to uh, mm. turn it around to to get a better view. But uh, it's interesting how there's some sort of a, uh, almost a cinematic direction going on at times. Like for example, mm-hmm. when you jump in a train mm-hmm. and cross the bridge, the camera fo- uh, sticks very close to the. Uh, conductor area of the of mm-hmm. the locomotive, and uh, it it zooms in quite clo- close, and it gives a very nice and detailed view. For example, and there's but that that's one of my favorite in- uh, intros to the, to a level is that level. I know exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. as well. It's on the bridge, and yeah, that that is one of my favorite openings to a level in Blastcore. Is the way the camera moves, yeah. the way it's orchestrated, is why I love it but also why it does my head in on other levels. Yeah. Like I need, I need more freedom. I need like, I want to see on what Mario 64, you know, lucky to kind of control on some levels because yeah. I find that you, the noise is quite satisfying when you turn the camera, you go, you're like, yeah, I'm turning a yeah. camera. Yeah. This is, this is going well, but then it kind of just stops at some points. And if you zoom too far out, you get a nice bird's eye view of the carrier, but maybe I uh, maybe I want a bird's eye view further out of what's actually going on. It it gives you nice ideas of a camera, but doesn't really flesh it out as much as I'd yeah, like. Yeah, at times it's uh, completely 
a bird's eye view and at times uh, there's some sort of uh, funky direction going on uh, another example mm. is out outland farm i believe the level is called it's uh, uh the second main backlash uh, level uh, where you where you oh, start yeah. in a, a sort of a gulch or a, a ditch yeah, area, a ditch. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. and you travel a whole a uh, whole bit, and the the camera sticks quite close to the vehicle as well. There, mm. yeah, it's almost like it's stuck in certain points of the environment. And mm, yeah, I, I I like the fact that I mean, there's a bit of variations in levels, but there there's a lot of very flat plane levels where you just need to destroy the things in front of halves mm. and you know solve a little bit of puzzles. And then, then you get thinking, well, maybe it's a limited of the tech. And, you know, we'll talk about some of the more kind of weird and wacky kind of bonus tr- you know, time trial levels mm. later. But you realize there's, there's a whole lot they, they really could have done with the main, the main structure of the single player game, um, which they then save the, you know, the, the more kind of, you know, bit small, you know, bite sized chunks of, of levels. It seems like they had mm. lots of concepts, but then kept it quite yeah, uh, straight faced or straight laced in um in the actual structure of the main single player game, which mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if it's disappointing, but I would have liked seeing some of that creativity that they had had in the uh, the extra uh, snippet levels and, and put that into the main game just to, to, to vary up a bit more. Yeah, so um, you know, the, the, during your progression throughout Blast Core of completing these main missions, you rank up. I don't really know what the ranking up does. It makes a nice jingle when it plays a spinny logo in front of your face, and it gives you a nice congratulations, hey. And it obviously feeds into progression of the world map, but it feels kind of superficial. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it's essential for any progression other than just like a nice number going up and the the the, the marquee text on the bottoms whizzing by with high scores and all fun info of how many medals you got. And it's all it's all nice and you know that it was all very satisfying. But again, the ranking up seems quite superficial to mm. me. Um, the platinum medals are obviously they are what they are. They represent how good you are, and um, I. I I'm like most of us here in that I remember thinking I got all the plats back in the day, but I clearly didn't because trying to get them on Rare Replay, I was like, (laughs) I'll get one and then I'll turn it off. (laughs) Bye, because they're really hard. So it's basically just perfecting everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's clearing a level without any faults. And, um, you know, we'll get to the vehicles next. But, you know, when it comes to Backlash and as the the aforementioned uh, variation RNG in the levels, it kind of puts me off getting any more plats um, other than the one needed for the milestone in Rare Replay. To do all these things, you need the vehicles that we've been talking about. Um, We're going to go into, you know, the most and least favourite here. I'm still impressed by how... (laughs) A, they didn't completely flood the game with vehicles and, you know, make it a complete kind of whitewash of vehicles and you get overwhelmed. Uh, They've got a decent selection of vehicles here and they all feel mostly, you know, they all feel different Mm -hmm. to me. Like, even though there's a few mechs in there, they've all got their own purpose. Whether you like it or not, they do their own thing. And as soon as you see it on a map, either silhouette or in the, the metal flesh you, you know exactly what you're going to expect from this experience yeah, all the main wrecking vehicles have um, a sense of mastery to them uh yeah all, all of them need to be need to be mastered in some sort of way and you know you you, you learn these vehicles via a trial and error in levels or you have the tutorial levels in the world map that gives you you know um clear instructions on how to level a building in that vehicle and i find them you know i found them absolutely crucial to uh to your success and you know they they teach you in subtle ways. They they lay m- mounds of dirt in front of buildings on purpose to make yeah. you realise that if you if you if you were to fly into a building as you know at any angle, you're going to completely destroy that building no matter what you're doing in that vehicle. And I found that really mm. satisfying. Um, 
But yeah, personally, my, my most favourite is 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 J Bomb. He's a, he's a yellow mech. Yes, and he's got a jetpack. I guess that's what the J stands for. He's up in the air. He, he does a Mario sixty four, you know, butt stomp, <laughs> and he just flattens anything underneath it. And it is it is so satisfying when you take out. It, you can tell the buildings in Blast Core uh, how they're built based on the polygon lines at the top of the mm. building. And, yeah. what, and when you get the intersection with J-Bomb and you hit all four sections of a building in one yeah. hit, it is, yeah, it is unreal. Um, anyone else? Well, obviously everyone's got a favourite, so let me know. J-Bomb? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be J-Bomb. I mean, the, the, the big issue wow. I had with J-Bomb is he's the first mech that you've sort of given control of. Mm. And... He's so much superior to the next two. Like you got the um, guy who just does the awkward flips that you know yeah. you've got to flip the right amount of distance from a building, otherwise yeah. he'll just bump yeah. into it and not destroy he's it. A cyclone, that, you know. The cyclone suit. He's a more finicky. Yeah. He's a more finicky uh, version of the Thunderfist, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then then you got Thunderfist, um, who's just Thunderfist rather than Thunderfists. Yeah. Um, and yeah, th- th- I found those two really finicky. But I do. I'll be honest. After all. My cursing and all my hatred do have a soft spot for backlash. Yeah, I, I agree, because the 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 mechs, as great as they are, make the especially Thunderfist and J Bomb make the destruction quite quite easy and uh, and smooth going. And there's just mm-hmm. this, this sense of fulfillment and satisfaction of properly using backlash to create yeah to drive in figure eights and just swipe through buildings uh, successfully. That's just. It's the, yeah, the the amount of satisfaction you can get for uh, from that is hard to beat. Tony, how do you feel about Backlash? Obviously, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about him, so we might as well get into it now. I'm gonna I'm gonna you fan. I'm gonna start the Backlash right here. <laughs> backlash. Hey, um, you did it. I did. Someone had to. Like I under <laughs> I understand why it's so fun to to use. Um, because when when you do actually master and for the people that don't know, um, it's it's a it's a case of. I guess you'd say it's like a drift vehicle. Yeah. Um, and the mm-hmm. only way well, it would work, and the only way it works is if you hit buildings with the back of the vehicle. So it's got a big dumper truck, kind of heavy back metal section to it. And that's the stuff that destroys... It's the Tonka truck yeah, that everyone yeah, recognizes. That destroys the buildings. Um, and there's a, you know, a very much a, a drift feel to that that you can drift into buildings. And when you, when you get it right, it just absolutely levels but, things yeah. to the ground. Like within one swoop, you just sideswipe into something yeah. and a massive skyscraper or well, for, for the game world anyway, um, falls down and yeah, it feels good. The problem I'm going to say is in less well practiced hands, backlash is an evil, slow, ponderous, hit things with the front of it just to get through the level type vehicle, um, mm. which is kind of where I fell <laughs> to, yeah. which was I never, I never mastered it. And I felt like if, if this was my, you know, my one game that I had for two or three months, then it would without doubt be my, my favorite vehicle because, you know, it takes you know, a while to master, but it's, you know, it's you know, awesome when it's in control. The few times I've got it right, um, have been brilliant, but yeah, yeah, for me that that was few and far between. So it ended up becoming this scenario of well, jump off anything that can smash into a building, get it right on the odd occasions, and then if I'm really in trouble, um, just 
push forward and keep bouncing off the front of it <laughs> yeah. to eventually where a building destroyed like it's 10 times as long but ultimately the the outcome is the same sometimes you you have enough time and level to to do that but now i i'm am willing to hear the um the fandom for the backlash and why i'm wrong <laughs> that it's um maybe a bit too hard to control you're going to tell me there's a trick that i was there's there's always a trick there is definitely a trick for this and um i don't know what it is i haven't really spent any time (laughs) i don't know what it is i never found it 20 years i've seen it on the speed runs it involves manipulating the gravity and the way backlash works um if you basically you take a high jump with the backlash you spin it around in midair and the i guess the torque or whatever on this physics when it lands it'll push itself backwards even faster. And because the back is the most powerful part of the, the dump truck, you just level buildings like it's Ramdozer, you know? It's um, it's a sight to behold. Yeah, see, now that's a glitch. But, that's not that's not playing well, it properly. Or is it a well, feature? Some people call it a glitch. You've just talked about driving it in the buildings forwards to flatten them without doing it with skill. So let's not talk about <laughs> glitches. <laughs> Talking about glitches, I, um, we're not going to get off on this, but there's a great um, level towards the back end of the game where you have to destroy buildings either side of a railway track. I guess it's a glitch but or a, there's just a, a weird thing where you can get yourself kind of stuck on a railway track and it propels you along this railway track and just smashes no all the buildings left and right like it just it goes because it's it's just propelling you because it doesn't know how to get you off this course, track right. so it yeah. just propels you up the side of this track it's a level that should take you a lot longer and yeah yes. you can just boom, and then come back round do the next slide. Diamond, <laughs> diamond Sands. Yes. I hate yeah, diamond, diamond Sands. sands. Yes, so there's, a, there's yeah. a way around that awful level. Um, I but, mean, if you want to do that legit, that is arguably <laughs> even harder than the one where you're loading the yes. stuff onto the, the, the box. So, but yeah, um, so, sorry, the um, the actual core concept of Backlash is that you hold down R or whatever console you're playing on, you hold down a button and it starts to drift. And like I said earlier on in the podcast, it was influenced by Super Mario Kart and, you know, and the hot mechanic. So the similar rules apply there. You hold down R and it, you start seeing like a ghosting effect behind the vehicle mm. to let you know that you're ready for sliding. But it's a little bit too unwieldy, a little bit too squirrely. If that's the right it's a little bit to too use. tight. By that, I mean, it's, it's too easy to come out of the... Um yeah, out, out the of the drift yeah, and right. I, more often than not I knew what I needed to do and I'd I'd attempt to drift and then just catch the front of the vehicle like in the corner of a building or off a rock yeah. or something like that and just yeah. uh, uh, by which point like the risk reward is well if I get it right I can be done with this level in super fast but equally if I get it wrong I can find myself spinning around in circles failing to hit the building multiple times yeah. and yeah it's one or the other or right i can just sit here and ram it in the front and like it's actually probably like the halfway house now i want to hear from mikhail because i feel like he is the backlash master um, <laughs> he is the guy that's got the videos on on youtube that is in fact you know doing crazy drifting techniques so mikhail come on fill us in with, with, uh, with the the technique backlash absolutely makes uh, no sense within an already nonsensical premise uh, I mean, why would you pick a dump truck to as a tool of destruction when you have mechas and uh, missile shooting, uh, shooting futuristic motorbikes and all sorts of craziness at your disposal? Um, but yeah, like like I said, it's just the the, the satisfaction when you make it work is uh, I, I wouldn't call myself a master by any stretch, but the satisfaction when you make it work it's that's just the absolute yeah. high of the game for me. Um, mm-hmm. and there's a thing, uh, you know, the, 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 how, how good the power slides can feel when you, uh, got, got them down. 
are only one part of the equation. The other part of this uh, equation is the sense of weight the vehicle gives off when your power is sliding around. Um, mm, what, I, I agree with that. Yeah, and and um, you know what actually gets in the way more often than not are structures in the way that you don't want to hit or little trees that can't mm. be uh, can be crushed so mm. it's 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 i think sometimes it's more the, the level design at fault uh, or that gets in the way of the fun you can have with the backlash than the actual vehicle uh, uh, to, to your point about the 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 weight and kind of destruction feel of it i i do feel that's something missing and i think would have to be if, if this game was made for a modern audience, well, the the explosions are actually you know relatively good for mm. for ninety seven. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's not a terrible looking game. It's a bit you know it's a bit single color palette green and brown, but you know they they do an okay job visually with with the game. But mm. um, yeah, I feel like backlash there there is a weight to that vehicle, and you know that that's probably where the mastery comes in. But something like the, the J bomb just dropping from the sky, like, you don't get the feeling you're in a giant mecha anybody. Like, certainly with like side swipe and or the cyclone suit, mm. yeah. You're, you're just trying to control it to hit it into buildings, but you, you don't feel like the buildings are having any real kind of impact yeah. in the direction that you might fly or, you know, there, there's no kind of, yeah. I don't know, there's, there's not a lot there to, to, to kind of feel like you're smashing through buildings. No, you're just wi- wiping them off the map. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I guess, yeah, Backlash is the only one that really has that kind of a tactile one-to-one with, with the user versus the actual environment that they're playing in. Mm. So, hmm. uh, I would argue it's the only one that genuinely feels like there's an element of genuine skill involved. Mm-hmm. Like anyone can use the J bomb, right? And anyone can go and use um Thunderfist or the <laughs> Randozer. Yeah. Sideswipe is uh, is the mo- <laughs> one of the more annoying vehicles for me because his uh sideswiping metal plates on the back uh if yeah. they they have to work in unison so if you mm. hit something that's uh yeah. too close on one side your other uh metal plate yeah, won't, won't shoot that far enough either it never felt like there wasn't enough fuel or ammunition or whatever you want to call it to fire the yeah. arms off um it, you never felt short on it so you could always mm. spam yeah. yeah whereas you you, uh, you always had that element of the time counting against you whenever you were backlash like that that was the one challenge you always had and then of course um as we mentioned earlier there is an element of rng to backlash there just that there is like it's undeniable sometimes you can hit a building perfect and you know you've caught it drift and on the back and you can see that and it just pings off like you've driven into it you know full in the face Mm -hmm. that is a little bit awkward um but i would say a good 80 to 90 percent of the time once you've got a good handle on it, that's the one that drives the element of skill with the vehicles yeah. for me. And, and that's why I appreciate it. But, you know, from pure fun point of perspective, <clears throat> J-Bomb's the best. It's like, he, he just is. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll fight anyone to the death oh, over that one. He's, he's got the best name. He, he, he looks He's cool. got the best name. He looks the best. He's the easiest to control and he's the quickest to do stuff I do with. want to profess my love for Thunderfist, though, because, you know, every, me, me every early he's... N64 game had to show off some... Uh, Chromish uh, reflective uh, sur- surfaces. Yeah. That, that's yeah. that's the one. <laughs> and, uh, the 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 single arm was done out of technical limitation, but it's just cool to see his little wires of the other so, side so spark off. This, what is the story to fund this technical lim- limitation? Yeah, polygons. And I just I just love his move. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely it. 
it has to be inspired by uh, Street Fighter Shoryuken. It's the uh, you know the, yeah. the rising. What up is that noise though? It's like a it's like a very digital noise that he gives off every time he flattens a building. Like you know, it, it sounds very specific to. I don't I don't know. Is it meant to be just because he's a robot? He can make he's just excited. He's an excited yeah. robot. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, overall the um, the blast core array of vehicles is is it is spot on for me. Like the, you never feel like you're in the same vehicle twice. Maybe this, the assorted autos do. You know, the police versus the Dukes of Hazard, yeah. and you know that. Mm-hmm. But they kind of feel like they've, they've got their place in a level that's kind of not always primary. You know, like the, the primary vehicles yeah. in this game, they feel different. They you, when you see it like Team Fortress 2 style silhouette or not, you know what's going to happen when you get in mm. it. And yes, you will have to deal with anything that's, you know, coming your way, RNG or not. Um, Andrew Brown from the forum, he concludes his, um, his post, his singular post, which I split into two, by saying, but whatever, because of budget cuts, administrative incompetence or Murphy's Law, it feels like I am put behind the wheel of a dump truck more often than I am somersaulting a giant uh, in a giant robot. I think as a simple matter of feedback... Um, leveling buildings is a breeze and incredibly satisfying with every vehicle but the aptly named Backlash effortlessly ploughing through a city block with the Thunder Fist is gratifying bouncing impotently off a shack because of the finicky Backlash mechanics is frustrating and it feels like there's a whole lot more of the latter than the former even though a simple application of level math will reveal that it is not to be the case but the backlash, backlash overwhelms the goodwill I ever otherwise feel towards Blastcore. When I think about this game, I think about the fate of the world resting on a hapless schlep behind the wheel of a dump truck. If this were anything but a video game with Infinite Continues, the world would be doomed. Already is, mate. <laughs> um, so the, the other thing that I wanted to mention regarding backlash, or using backlash, or that's only recognisable when you do is the structure of the different buildings feels different to break. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like when you're using everything else, those buildings break regardless, whether it's a glass-fronted train station, a brick uh, industrial estate, you know, um, big chimney stacks or houses. But when you're driving into these things with backlash, notably because sometimes you do catch it with the front of the truck we've already mentioned, a hut does smash considerably quicker and lighter and feels lighter. You know, it, it's, mm. you know, as Michael was saying about the, the, the waiting, uh, that's certainly something I felt towards the buildings. And then when you drive into a brick house, it destroys a little bit quicker and a little bit easier than, say, um, a factory. And, and it sort of builds up on that kind of thing. And I did genuinely appreciate that because the only time you ever feel that is when you're playing as Backlash because all the other vehicles destroy it like it's it, it like yeah. it's easy everything's a hut yeah uh, the, I, we were mentioning Sideswipe earlier and I've got to say this whenever I played the Sideswipe training mission challenge it always looks like I am destroying the set of Coronation Street and I love that <laughs> yeah. immensely yeah. I'm like yeah I'm going to go down that, that um, cobble road and smash up those buildings because and then Sideswipe comes in and just pushes them both out of the way yeah I just absolutely love it and um take that Roy how would you like that Kevin <laughs> yeah you know, actually um, Sideswipe is not my most annoying vehicle um, maybe uh, it's Rem Dozer in combination with the TNT boxes yeah yeah pushing around TNT boxes yeah. to destroy <laughs> buildings that can't be destroyed in any other way with a time limit uh, is pressure and un- unlike anything else really like it really because it starts ticking away at you and you're like 
you're like, okay, I've got a bit of time. And then before you know it, it's flashing yeah. red and it's ticking away faster than you expected mm. at that time. Yeah. And, yeah. And, at the, and equally, you know, and there's no timer. There's no I mean, timer. Say, and not all TNT boxes are built <laughs> equally. Yeah, and equally, sometimes you can have a TNT box that lasts forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, you're like, yeah. well, and you're like, what are the rules here? What are the rules? I don't get it. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, there's literally one that you push from the very end of the <laughs> no, level the to the very start of the level, which is the one I mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah. The, and not only that you get it there and it's still ticking for ages and then there are other ones that you touch it twice and you're like oh god he's gone off too early <laughs> I always I always got the impression that uh, if you keep on pushing it without hitting anything it won't explode uh, but it, there's this, the detonation will happen after you lose contact with it I, I don't know and I, I feel like as soon as you touch it that's it you have to just you know, you have to go. It feels that way, but then there are ones that you don't touch for ages that do keep ticking. Yeah. That's the strange sort of mm. you know. And I, I know there. this game's twenty years old, but that that is kind of a prime example of why Blast Core probably isn't had a hasn't had a sequel since because there's so many design choices back then that wouldn't work now. And if you know if they did make another one, all these things would kind of be polished, and you know you would see the timer ticking down on each TNT box, and it would kind mm. of ruin the mystery of Blast Core a little bit if they if they showed everything up front. But at the same time, but I don't want to be wasting your time in a level like working out the bloody crystal maze puzzles that they give in front of you. I, I feel <laughs> like we must have had many more games like this, you know. Oh, without a doubt. No, I'm, I'm trying to think of any that are you know. Yeah, not rampage. It's just something in like a real particular that is very similar. I think that you know maybe the genre has kind of grown a bit different. So I'm, I'm thinking something like a you know a bit more high octane, something like split second. You know, there's a race in that aspect there, whilst you're kind of breaking stuff around you, less puzzle, but just you know you're kind of getting that that feeling of blowing stuff up whilst achieving something. Hmm. Um, but that's not a great example because it's an entirely different genre. But I'm trying to think there must be more where it's you know, moving stuff around, breaking designs, or whether they're just puzzle games now rather than vehicle-based well, puzzle games. You do, you do have, even even still you have strange decisions like Blur, which was real cars in real locations with Mario Kart-like power-ups that is completely illogical. Yeah. But, I mean, that that sense of illogicality, mm-hmm. I guess, um, it wasn't such a big deal then. I mean, if, if we break down something like Blast Core as an adult, we're going to pick faults left, right, and centre. Yeah. Me... Carl, as a five-year-old kid, this game makes perfect mm. sense. Like this, this was me in my bedroom playing this because this is how things constructed in my head. This game was designed by a five-year-old. This was made <laughs> by his son. I'm telling you. Um, and if you look at it from that, you can't help but smile and be churlish and like, oh, it's like it's great fun. And then mm. let's stop being, you know, so finicky over it all. But then you know, if we look at it as an adult and say, well, this makes no sense. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you can, you can tell that the 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 rare, the, you know, the Blast Core dev team at Rare, they kind of knew that going in with this game. But like you say, blowing up buildings with vehicles is, you know, every child's dream, I guess. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, go with it. And uh, yeah, it is definitely one and of the one time you're doing it well, on the moon. So I mean, are well, we still yeah, are we still so, trying yeah. to uh, hold it up to no. to the lens no. of uh, reality at that point? <laughs> now we're, we're going to talk about the side missions. Very yeah. well, at least the moon you can drive on. <laughs> Neptune, however, is gas. <laughs> I know. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, it's all realistic. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> the traversal vehicles rather than the wrecking vehicles. So there, you've already mentioned the police car. Then there's the uh, Dukes of Hazard car, uh, which mm-hmm. has no, no, uh, doesn't sport a Confederate flag, but a, a regular old uh, flag of the U.S. of A. Uh, and there's the Starsky and Hutch car as well, uh, the the Fort Torino, and they all have their little 
uh, honking jingles when you when you press the mm-hmm. button. And uh, the A team then does the uh, out of my way, like you said already. And Starcy and Hutch car does a little seventies guitar twang. Uh, and the Dukes of Hazard does a sort of a yeah a musical horn like you would hear on the Dukes of Hazard. And what I love about these vehicles in particular is that they look more toy like than yeah. any of the other yeah, vehicles like in the game. And that's like why wheels models. That's right? why like yeah. exactly yeah like the wheels don't actually turn on the models in the car, making me think they're actually made of plastic. And I can't help but just like when I think of Blast Car in my mind, there's a giant hand controlling all <laughs> these like toys and stuff like in on a plastic mat as I was a yeah. kid again. And that's partly why I like it so much because it just, you know, it just reminds you of being young again and who doesn't yeah. love that? And it's also quite cool that, uh, yeah, completely out of nowhere, it has all these references to beloved seventies and eighties TV shows in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if you, yeah, if you want to go dig, dig, you know, digging in Blastcore, there are many things to be, plucked out of and gone yep yeah, you can tell that's a yeah. rare game you know, those guys were loose cannons at the time and you know that they were allowed to run with whatever ideas they seemingly yeah, had you, de- you definitely get uh, the sense all- that they just threw everything in there that they thought was cool well the, the game apparently was you know um, under a, an Acme style piano for the whole development and like as soon as something was not right they were ready to cancel it but they like like most games that were developed in the 90s like it seemed like they were just made out of like pure passion kind of like how the most indie games are developed mm-hmm. nowadays you know like the, the the core essence there is so powerful because the guys there wanted to make it like it wasn't you know the nintendo saying you must make this game like they they wanted to make the game they wanted to make and that's why it shines through and plays well in 2017 on your xbox Fun one first features and sellability second oh, exactly yeah so blast call is rammed full of um side missions the training levels we've discussed there uh, they the destruction levels which inv- that's the best way i can describe them but they're, they're like challenges you know you pop into a level as j-bomb you've got these weird silver spheres that look like the clacky things on your desk uh, at some point they actually are in one of the levels i do believe um then you've got to pop these spheres by uh, but stomping as J-Bomb across lava and it's it's tense it's fun and I, I like these kind of challenge levels the racing levels are based on F1 tracks I don't know how real you know I, that's the thing they say and that's the thing <laughs> that I wrote down but I've never actually gone one for one and is that actually Nuremberg or Silverstone I don't know um, but you know they're like levels you can race around in hence the name racing levels um, and you have to choose the right vehicle Darren Nuremberg yeah. wasn't an actual <laughs> rally, you know this, right? It wasn't an F1 track. I think he meant uh, Nuremberg, Nuremberg Ring. The Nuremberg yeah. Ring? The oh. Nuremberg Rally is an entirely different thing. I meant the Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also Pac-Man style levels. Um, I forget the name of it entirely. That's a good but, um, they they yeah. are fun. Um, the fixed the fix camera feels like it's there just to wind you up as well mm-hmm. because you're trying to reach these little dots in the corner and you're being chased by... Uh, you know ghost-like things and yeah it's, it's a good laugh um but overall the side missions are completely encompassed by one shuttle clearance mission that you've never seen before and you'll never see again after and then you go to the moon and beyond and you know the it, it for me personally this reveal was like seeing star road in super mario world <laughs> anyone else feel the same not, not didn't quite hit me in the same place, but yeah, okay. <laughs> but you mean you go to the moon, <laughs> no, man? I mean, the, the strange thing is, you mention all this, and whenever I see Neptune, all I can ever think of is Wetrix because mm-hmm. of the color scheme. Yeah. So 
less Mario Kart, more Wetrix for me, which is not the comparison you were trying to make. But I can I can sort of see it. But yeah, it, it's that's all I see on these planets is that they just don't. They didn't feel right. It felt tacked on without purpose for me. Um, I'm actually quite critical of the end game. I think it's cool in concept, uh, but I didn't like mm. them in how they were implemented. Hmm. I thought. See, I enjoyed the shuttle clearance mission as kind of like that a, was cool as a link towards that, you know. And um, I know it doesn't quite make sense that you you clear a path for the shuttle and therefore you're now in space, but they kind of stitched it together yeah. as well as they could. <laughs> and that's another mm. uh, comparison with Pilot Wing sixty four, which also had a shuttle, of course, right? So I also kind of associ- mm. associate that with the first slew of N sixty four releases. But ultimately, you know, the gravity is affected on the moon and beyond, and it is that the levels are just completely absurd. But by this point in the game, I feel like you've kind of you you've gotten over the worst of the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, okay, now it's just time just to let loose. It doesn't matter if you finish these planet levels or not, really, mm-hmm. because you you know you've you know, I think you've gained, seen the credits yeah. at this point. You're just you've seen a, you see yeah you've seen a well done screen by this point. You know you you've saved the shuttle from. Yeah. <laughs> A crash landing, and you know you've won. So now just go and be a fool on the moon. And at that point, we've had the Pac-Man levels as well. So yeah, at that point, it's it's just hilariously dumb bonus fun on top of uh, on top of the game itself. And I I quite enjoyed it, especially if it would have just been the backgrounds, it wouldn't be have been so great. But the is it the lower or the higher gravity? It's the lower gravity, right? The lower gravity Mm -hmm. really makes them quite uh, quite unique. That makes Backlash all the more fun, yes. eh? Because he's just made a rubber on that level and he's just pinging around. Yeah. And it's, it's all good fun. Uh, so, you know, stitching all of this together, obviously, because it's a video game, it is rammed. Well, is it rammed full of art and graphics? I don't... I can't really quite tell if I like the look of this game or not. And it's, you know, it's quite harsh to judge because it's a 20-year-old game. But when I booted it up on the Xbox One, oh, it looks a bit rough. Um... Like the actual environments for my 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 tastes look a bit rough. You can start you can see the joins of the polygons mm. now and you can sort of see through the environment in some places. Well, so, I mean, some of that of, is down the fact that you know uprising it to a you know yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and expecting it all to, to, to make sense. I mean I, I know that Mikael, didn't you have you been back to the N sixty four version? I revisited uh, the N sixty four version. Have you played the rare replay version? No, as well? no, but I s I've watched some videos uh, of that version and uh, yeah, it, it looks like a completely uprest uh, version. Um, mm. but yeah, going back to uh, the N sixty four version with an S video cable on a Sony Trinitron TV, CRT TV. Yeah. It looks uh, pretty impressive for uh, an N64 game, I must say. Um, mm. If you compare it to a lot of games that came out for the system around that time, there's a lot of, lot more detail to the textures uh, used in the game. Uh, almost, um, for that time at least, photorealistic uh, textures that give it... Uh, a highly detailed look and um, for example if you look at the the train it ha- actually has uh, scratches and scuff marks on its exterior mm. and a rusted rusted uh, spots and things of that nature mm. details of that nature um, yeah. which is a lot more than a lot of other n64 games were were showing this is of course also kind of a, a rare hall- hallmark to get a lot more out of the system than other uh, developers were uh, were getting. Uh, because their textures for the uh, 3D platformers that they did were uh, pretty fantastic in, uh, in comparison as well. 
So, but I think it actually looks like a looks like a really nice game, and you've already uh, alluded to the uh, or alluded to you've you've mentioned the the fact that it all looks very toy like. So yeah, it, it looks mm. like a, a detailed toy world to me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of again. Like, I am critical of the way it looks now because you know it is an old game on the N sixty four and N sixty four games. You know, they, they they can look good if they're made by the right people, yeah. but. Yeah, I feel like this is on the lower end of the it spectrum. It has the right t- uh, sort of tricks and techniques as well. Like yeah. The close camera is a major part of that because it's obviously it it only has to render less per level because you never notice how sparse they actually are at any one particular time. So that allows you some sort mm. of wiggle room um, to get away with. And like in that regard, it, it's quite clever. Plus, it's also relatively clear. Which, when you look back at countless other N sixty four games, they are a bit of a smudgy mm. mess yeah um, and, and obviously in the rare replay it's <laughs> crisped up considerably mm. but when you look back at the N64 version you realise it, it it's not a pretty game but it holds up better than a lot of mm. others I mean especially considering this is a 1997 N64 release let's just look at 2 yeah. Rock right um, <laughs> and, and, and that highlights yeah but once again on a completely is. different camera angle asking the, the machine to do a lot here you've got you know a very we talk, well, we've talked about how um, small the screen area that you're actually looking yeah. how you know tight the camera is. Yeah, like I mean, there's there's clear ways, I and mean, they do that now. We're you know, talking recently about the order uh, 1866, how the you know, how they got the performance out of the PlayStation 4 because of the way that they kind of cut down the world and only let you get into certain corridors and, and whatnot. Like these these are things that are, were happening back in 97 that are still happening in 2017. It's just mm-hmm. yeah, you know, clever use of what being smart you know, with your game. Yeah, you know, is about and and what it requires. Yeah. So you know, it, yeah, I mean that's just clever development. And actually, once again, yeah, you know, Darren, you talked about the the fact that this reminds you kind of more of a if you talk about a modern day game, you know, just an independent studio putting something fun together. You know, that would be mm. about right. You know, a team of seven, you know, a relatively yep. you know modest budget. I mean, I I know Rare were somewhat of a, a decent sized studio, you know, back in 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 you know ninety seven. So you know they would have had a budget, but you know the fear of if this doesn't completely come together that this this project could be cancelled because it's not like the mainstay of this this studio so you know i hmm. you know it does it does definitely have that feel of something that would have been kind of put together as a, a close-knit group of friends in a production house and you know this was their project they got to work on why somebody else is is working on another it, it didn't i think that's one of my my issues with this game now it doesn't actually feel like this is like the full-blown rare team that is behind this you know it hasn't got you know the whole development mm. studio putting all the you know all the great ideas and charms of Rare into this one project. It's you know it's a bit of a no. Well, I mean, side look shoot. at what Rare were working yeah. on. I mean, with with Rare, you had GoldenEye and Diddy Kong Racing, mm. and this that's three ma- pretty major games in almost no time whatsoever. It's like you, you put Diddy Kong Racing and GoldenEye in in its own little circle of like. God, our games look good then. But then I put Killer Instinct Golden Blast Core in this other circle. Like yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, those games don't look as good. They're, but you can tell that those games that don't look as good were made in 95 on a giant fridge unit, whereas Golden Eye was probably made on better development hardware course, and they probably yeah. had better tools then. You know? yeah, so, and they brought Nintendo in as well. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously mm. the, the, Golden, the Nintendo Ninjas sorted it out and uh, fixed it, yeah. But, you know, again, look, but the charisma of the game... It is there and it shines through, and you can look past, you know, the the kind of repetitive textures, and you know, the the, the levels are quite varied, and I do enjoy, you know, seeing like, you know, muddy farms versus giant cranes, and you know, kind of s- steep stone 
kind of ramps that your buggy Skyfall can fly off of. Like it, it, it's got variation, but I just, I don't know. I, I played a bit of the N64 game the other day as well, and I just thought, oh, I wish this game just looked better. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, come on. Yeah, I, I just want a sequel. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. And if, if Brandon can make it happen with Crash Co, then I'm uh, I'm all on board. Ah, uh, right. Um, you know, uh, alongside the art and graphics are the noises that happen from you know from the vehicles to the um to the little guys that make little weird squeaking noises when you trample the buildings down. They go and uh, I assume that means help, but I've never really been entirely sure. Uh, but the music is it's always an easy go to when you say the music's great. But for for this game, I I feel like it kind of set a standard for rare games going forward. I mean, it has a banjo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it sounds very good and punchy overall. Uh, but I think as as more positive than the rest of you, I feel about uh, the uh, graphics. I think the sound mix is very messy in this game with the explosions and the screams and a lot of other stuff going on. It's uh, it's, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a mess to listen to. Hmm. Yeah, I can hear that. Like you know, literally hear that in my mind of like there is just, maybe at any one time there's just too much going on. But knowing the fact that some of the songs were parodies of popular, well, popular dance tunes of the 90s, I can't help but just go, I just, oh, you know, the, the fact that he ripped off Cotton Eye Joe is what I'm trying to say is pretty much <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> well, I, 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 I can. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. You might want to go for a <laughs> case. Well rip off the classics. <laughs> But yeah, like I don't know if anyone's got anything else to say about the music, but I find the music itself but, quite. I mean, time to get moving and, is constantly stuck yeah, in my head yeah. for the last two weeks. I, I find myself just walking around work. Time to get moving. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I think overall it, there's some there's some fun, catchy tunes. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's there's anything particularly like oh that's an absolute you know classic that's going to be with me for. I mean, time to get moving maybe. But um, yeah, they're they're upbeat tunes, which I think you know for the for this kind of the game about destroying buildings. You know, I think it helps to have a little bit of a a jaunty soundtrack that goes behind yeah, yeah. in the background yeah. rather than a doom and gloom. It, it can get a bit moody as well. Like when the helicopter flies over the level at the start, it's quite a serious. Like maybe it, like it wouldn't you 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 it wouldn't be out of place in Goldeneye. Basically, it's got a really kind of. There are, there are some darker tunes in that game that kind of get overlooked because you're not playing at the same time as they're happening. So like, you know, the helicopter flying over, giving you the you know the preview of the level. It has quite a moody track towards it. And when you're about to lose the mission and the music speeds up, that again, is just like, almost like when Mario, in Mario Brothers, when you're about, when you're less than 99 seconds away from the end, you're mm. like, oh God, better, you know, time to get moving is exactly right. Yeah. And um and there's some there's yeah, some yeah. Uh, tracks uh, to some missions that are oddly serene as well. Um, hmm. I think Ebony, Ebony Coast yeah, probably the, has this uh, yeah, has this one. really serene track while you know Doom is at hand. Yeah, you know you're, you're flying over um, as J Bomb over the yeah. sea, and he's got his one arm hanging out, and he's spinning around, and it's got this nice, gentle, almost Donkey Kong Country esque music, you know, accompanying yeah. it. It's, it's yeah, it, it, it's a rare game, is what I'm trying to say. It has charisma and character, and uh, I enjoy it uh, immensely. Um, so, you know, the, there are there are more things to be seen and, and you know, played in, in Blast Core, but if if you listen to this podcast and you haven't, you know, decided to play it, I'm not, I'm not going to start telling you everything about the secrets and the cheats and all that lot, because half the game for me 
even playing it again, you know, 2016, 17, whenever, wherever he play came out, <laughs> that discovery in this game is absolutely crucial. So, you know, check, you know, check it out yourself if you really want to hear more. We're going to go straight into the free word reviews uh, supplied by you, the man with the earphones, or the woman with the earphones in your ears. You typed in one day and gave us a free word review on Twitter, which you can do by tweeting at KNATRINCE, KNATRINCE with the hashtag CRTWR. Yes, I did it. Right, we're going to start with Tony. James McGee says, bloody dump truck. Teej said, town trashing treat. Matthew Woolley says, explosive good time. Andrew Brown, explosive, exploration, exhortation. <laughs> Very good. I don't know what that last word means. I googled it earlier and I've forgotten what it meant. But thank you anyway. Thank you everyone who uh, provided a free word of view. Light on discussion from the community this week. But you know, we can't have everybody talking about all the games every time you know that's what we're here for and uh, thank you very much for all your contributions from all the podcasts so in summary we're going to start with old Tony Atkins over there hey, hey. It's, actually, it's actually funny you talk about the lack of correspondence uh, with, with this issue in particular I remember a good long time um, you know Blast Ops has been on on the schedule for a long time but there was a real problem about well does anyone have an A64 to play it like the, the team is varied enough that we probably did but uh, you know tracking down a copy of this yeah it's it, it was quite popular so it's not like that the carts are hard to come by but it was nice to, to have like many times Rare Replay come out and suddenly all these games which are always going to be a slight issue to, to play and just have them all mm. in one package you don't need us, us to tell you if you're a fan of Rare to buy Rare Replay but if you've if you've not come across Rare Replay yet please buy Rare Replay it's really really good um, that's not a summary that's just a, uh, a request of our great you know, great listeners because <laughs> Rare Replay is really good <laughs> anyway mm-hmm. yeah I I can't say I particularly loved Blast Ops I, I think it was it's fun and I, but I think you know the fact that I don't have that I that attachment of playing it when I, well, I I played it, but clearly not enough back in, in 97, 98 that, you know, the, the love for it wasn't, you know, deep inside my veins that when I get got to play it now in, in 2017, I can't help but trip over a number of the issues that the game has for a modern day gamer. That's not to say that I didn't enjoy it um, because, you know, it's not a short game. It's not a particularly long. Game. It's about eight or nine hours to play. Um, and there's some good stuff in there. There's some good fun in there. And there's, um, you know, just I, I like going back into the levels and, and exploring everything. And, you know, because there was achievements attached to it, I, I did a lot of stuff and a lot of extra um, uh, bits outside the game that wasn't just, you know, get for the levels and be done with it. So I've enjoyed my time with it. But I, I can't help but feel like it it doesn't feel like a triple A rare game. It feels like it's... Of one of the, the you know the offshoots of, of rare at that time, it it lacks a little bit of the charm, a, a little bit of the uh, the funniness, a little bit of the creativity of daftness of that we we know from classic rare, and it feels a bit more straight laced. Um, that's not to say it doesn't have any, because it does, but it doesn't feel like they doubled down on anything. It feels like they had an idea, they had a concept, they executed it, um, and you know they were quite happy that they managed to produce this game in probably the time and the budget that they had with the seven people. Um, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Um, so, you know, that's that's still, I think, if you find yourself and you find yourself with Rare Replay, it's worth a blast through if you've, if you've not been through it before. Hmm. Cole? Yeah. So, Blastcore. Eh? Bloody hell, what a game. 
No, it's um, <laughs> it's strange because this is one I always thought would be interesting to talk about on here. Um, partly because it would push me to play the game that I was somewhat dismissive of from the way it was pushed, from the fact that I never bothered to pick it up in 1998 after, the, you know, the crazy year that was 97, or 98 was arguably wilder, um, and had no real inclination to go back to until we started this podcast and it became an option that maybe one day we'll talk about it. Then the wonderful Rare Replay came around and it became far more likely that we'd do it. And I'm really thankful that we did because... As I think every time I hear this statement, but PC Master Race Carl in 1997 was a douche, right? So I probably shouldn't have been so dismissive of it then because what I was actually dismissing was a game that has far more depth and content and enjoyability than I ever thought it would offer me. And I can only imagine that if I think that now, when I can see how rough around the edges this game is, that the RNG can be unfair, that some levels are a little too tight on time, and with the access to solutions if needed, or the best way to approach stuff is at hand, with the challenge of that then, and being stuck for you know having this as my game for six eight weeks whatever because that's the one game i'm playing how much more i would have appreciated it then would that would would it have been an all-time favorite of mine i mean there's, there's, there's that chance that that could have been the case because i really quite like this game and i can't quite put my finger on just why because it's so far from perfect in so many ways but the levels are short and the you know, they get to you and there's a little bit of rush and a little bit of skill involved and you exploring these worlds and doing these daft little things level to level and never really necessarily having one level feel like the next, which is kind of important, all adds up to an experience that I enjoyed far more than I ever thought I would. Um, and I am quite a retro gamer. I do like the old games, but I can only maybe remember podcasting on here once and outright saying that I thought a game was better now than it was at the time and that was Castlevania Symphony of the Night and I think maybe Blast Core can fall in that same category because I really didn't think I'd like it that much um, mainly as I say I did dismiss it a little at the time I had played it but I didn't sort of see the ins and outs the depth the little hidden secrets and the gems to figuring out these levels they're the kind of things that you can't experience in that five minutes that you might get inside a store or HMV or the 10 minutes that you might play at a friend's house because being able to sit in front and experience that whole package is so much more important to the experience. So for that, I would absolutely recommend that someone did play Blast Core. You know, it, it, it's not perfect. Ex expect frustrations and imperfections and the many other things that come with that. But given that it you can get rare replay for what I think we've seen it for about ten pound, and it contains what twenty something games, thirty something 30 games, games yeah. thirty games. That makes Blast Core what three quid? Is that no yeah. thirty? No less less thirty p <laughs> less thirty p <laughs> something stupid. Which that you know the character might be worth about thirty p for his design, but other than that, you know it's an absolute bargain. So mm -hmm. jump on Rare Replay if you've got access to an Xbox One. If you've got an access to a N sixty four and you never played it, borrow a copy, find a copy, get to eBay, buy something because it's definitely worth trying out. Although you could probably take mm -hmm. Lunar Jetman off that list of things to play. 
She's not the rare. Yeah, she's yeah, not the rare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Carol. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, I've been listening to uh, Tony's uh, comment uh, with uh, with a little bit of interest, um, and it made me also realize that I'm I'm probably uh, now in absence of uh, of Leon or Jay. I'm the uh, the oldest person on this uh, this here episode um, because when I think of rare and uh, coming to realize this as I'm listening to Tony uh, they're probably most beloved for the Donkey Kong Country games and the likes of Banjo Kazooie, uh, GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, you know all the great uh, N64 games they put out. When I think of, of rare and what I appreciate in them so much my thoughts often wander off to the uh, NES uh, days, never having played on an uh, ZX Spectrum or any games by uh, Ultimate Play the Game. Uh, and what I always associated with Ra- Rare as developer were these really kooky, weird, one-off titles that uh, individually don't play like any other uh, games, but are extremely well uh, produced, well coded, and well put together. Uh, and I'm I'm now um, thinking of games like Cobra Triangle, uh, Snake Rattle and Roll, uh, Solar Jetman, mm-hmm. uh, all very unique games that don't really have any equal anywhere else, and are just uh, yeah challenging but overall a joy to play, and that's what I associate with uh, with Blast Score as well, I think. It has to be said, actually, I've, I have been playing Battery Rare Replay and I've been playing a lot of their earlier games. There's some, there is some really good classic stuff in, in that package that, you know, I, w- I would also agree isn't just, um, you know, they're more kind of fun, charming side of, of their development, which we kind of all known and grown to love now. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I do agree. Yeah, so, so when you talk about charm, that's actually what I uh, yeah the, the charm uh, for me of rare is that that aspect actually when I look at uh, uh, you know your Donkey Kong countries it's it's uh, despite the the graphical uh, innovations it's kind of derivative of uh, your you know your typical Super Mario like platformer uh, Benji Kazooie is derivative of uh, Super Mario sixty four Goldeneye was a a, a, a standard setting FPS, but it's also an entry in a, 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 or an, a game in a genre that was already established before it. And Rare's charm, I associate most with uh, with the games uh, of uh, Blastcore and the likes and, and its ilk. And um, even though it has, it has many as- issues, as we went into uh, over the course of this uh, this here podcast recording, I have to love it for that, and I've always enjoyed playing it. I would definitely recommend people going back to it and playing it on Rare Replay or on an N64 cartridge. And that's about it. Yeah, I I I, I agree. I think Blast Core is is still a fun game, you know, warts and all. It has its moments with the, that we've discussed of frustration. Um, but ultimately, uh, it, it's a game like no other. And um, I, I can't not recommend a game where 20 years later, no one's tried it and done it better. Like, well, no one's tried it at all. So if you want, I said this uh, during the Sunset Overdrive podcast, but if you want a game like this, where else are you going to go? Mm. So I have to recommend it based on that because there's nothing else like it. And like you say, Mikael, Rare are good at making these one-off experiences that, control really well and play really well and you know it might not have the 
the production values of Banjo Kazooie, uh, you know, or, or, the, or beyond. But at its core, <laughs> there's um, there, there, there is a rare game in there that is busting to pop out and be the true rare game that you know and love. You know, what I mean, the 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 R logo from from the N sixty four era. You know that that you were you were, you were attracted to post Goldeneye. I don't really see it with Blast Core. Because it doesn't have that same, even the intro doesn't have the same production levels as the other games, you know. But underneath the surface, there is there is that rare spirit, yeah. and it does shine through the more you play. And you know, whether it's on an N sixty four or super cheap in rare replay, I think you have to play it just to experience it. If you don't get on with it, that's fine. But just let it be known that one time in our gaming history, there was a game that was basically toy cars on plastic mats yeah and it's it happens very rarely that uh, rarely haha that uh games are coming out um nowadays that are uh you know kind of let's say double a not triple a but that don't fit neatly mm. within one certain certain genre so you could i've always mm. looked at blast core a bit of an uh, 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 as an action puzzle game but um, and over the course of the game, the carrier levels get more and more puzzly. But it's so much more than just just an action puzzle game. There's the yeah, all the vehicle handling and driving, and there there's the racing levels, and uh, it's uh, yeah, you know, and, and for a game that was designed in probably '94 and made and started to be made in '95, they did a good job considering what yeah. the hardware they had. And uh, yeah, I I. I do love Blast Core. I always remember as well, one of the reasons I've never gone back to it is I've always heard that it's incredibly hard. Um, and I actually don't think that's not, I don't think that was the case at all. There's, there's a few levels in there that you may stump your head, you know, bang your head against. Mm-hmm. But um, I think overall the difficulty is, is nowhere near as legendary as it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's yeah. a fairly smooth difficulty of a couple of little humps a- along yeah. the road that are e- easily, uh, easily overcome with a little bit of practice through other levels so don't don't let be i mean that is the thing that put me off literally for the last 20 years of actually not playing it was knowing oh man diamond sands that sounds terrible and yeah. you know I, I bet it's oh this no i remember this being hard it's it's not it's it's actually a you know a fairly well manageable yeah. game you can it's a you challenge can yeah. yeah it's yeah no, i wouldn't even say it's a challenge though. i just you know the, the levels come thick and fast and none of them are particularly like challenging sometimes you'll be knocked over by a puzzle here or there but you know that's you know modern day gamers that easily uh, work around that well there we go I'd like to thank Tony, Carl and Mikhail for joining me on this uh, indulgence of rare talking with Blast Call slash Dozer and next time in issue 260 of Cane and Rinse don't forget your toothbrush there are some skid marks to clean Chibi Robo is literally in the house
I was just the douche that was drilled by my dad.